Table It Unscripted with Kofu Oba. Hi guys, welcome to the podcast, the first episode in the year 2023. I'm your host, Kofu Oba. And this year I'm wishing you and me a merry, happy, fun-filled and a fulfilling new year. I'm excited and looking forward, I hope you are too, to what the year has got to unfold. My guest today is a beautiful writer, an ardent storyteller, <laughs> and other times is a poet, he's already blushing, anyway. The beautiful talent field, what's made Chinonso Onze, did I, did I pronounce it right? Onze. Hi Chinonso. Hi. I'm so happy to have you here, even though you came this, but you know, you're like, you know you do this thing, <laughs> you're a late comer, I feel like you're a late comer anyway, but this is, not, this is not the first time you do So today, so I presume the topic of discussion today is going to be a mixture of emotions, feelings, personal experiences, heartfelt betrayal, misunderstanding, and everything that comes with being an effeminate being. Now, I'm saying effeminate being because I remember when I reached out to you, I was like, Chino, so let's talk about being an effeminate man. But then, you know, I was later on, I was in my own personal space, and I'm like, seeing an effeminate man looks like you have a choice, like you're a man, mm. and then you are choosing to be effeminate. But like, now saying effeminate being is like you are a being like yes. every other person who is effeminate. And um, so, Chinoso and I today will be discussing effeminacy in terms of the stereotypes, the bullying, and finally the self-acceptance. For those who don't know, effeminacy or if an effeminate man is a man that is referred to be feminine in action, they, in quotes, they also call effeminate men cc men. They tend to think that they are not in conformity to what the traditional man should be. Yeah. So quick, let me cite some instances where not just individuals who are against what an effeminate man represents, but instances where even government agencies have taken aims at banning physical appearances. For instance, in Shanghai and China, they aim to combat what they call a quote on healthy culture and feminization of men is what they call it. Instead, establish they should appear strong and resolute. They should appear like the traditional macho image that a man is. And this is just January 20th this year. Wow. Yes, it's in place. So if it's a country like this that Africans look up to as being developed, they are civilized, they are technologically and scientifically inclined, and they are saying they don't want Feminine men to like appear on screens, or even though there are speculation that these ones are political. So let's now bring it to Nigeria mm-hmm. because recently, I think even the law in Nigeria is saying that they want to, I think, for cross dressers, they want to ban them. For China, they, the speculation that is political because China is not in good terms with the West, so they don't want any Westerner. Westernization into their own 
land, but it's not cultural, it's basically driven. For Nigeria, we can say it's cultural because Nigerians will say this is not how an African man should look like, this is not how an African man should portray. So that's like the broader sense. Let me now take it to the, the role of the family. Mm. I want to believe that you are not the only son. Mm-hmm. You are not. Yeah, so I've had cases where people will cite that when they see, in fact, if someone once cited when he was talking about a famous person that he knows, that he's that way because he grew up around women, like he has sisters and all of that. That's why he's how he is. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are effeminate men that do not grow up around sisters like group of brothers before you get yes. so like i think that would negate saying that because they grew up around sisters so i just want to like throw this to you that what do you think the role of the, your own family is what's the role of your upbringing in being a feminist boy and what's the acceptance from your family for you first of all i would say citing those laws and the whole thing about mm-hmm. shanghai and china it's quite terrifying and i think when i get home i'm going to like make extensive research about it so yes my family i i have an elder brother he's the first and then two sisters and and then me so i i grew up in a quite fluid home when i was much younger i think my my dad would always take me to the stadium my brother would always want to play football with me and all those things, but it just wasn't my thing. But then my sisters, they had this doll named Little Ami, and I always wanted to play with Little Ami. I always, for some reason, I was always interested in what they like, the things they liked. I was not interested in what my brother and my father liked or wanted. And the funny thing is, my father would always take me to, um, you know, there's something men do whenever they have, um, whenever um, there is this very big football match going on. They don't watch that home. They go to yeah. this UV center. My dad takes me there. But then the effeminacy never went. <laughs> my father is also this um, very accepting man. When I was much younger, when my father um, discovered that, oh, I don't think Chinoso likes all these things because because he knew okay. that I never liked football and all these oh. things. So he, he, he would always buy bad dogs for me. Okay. Yes, my father would buy um, this um, so my, my father used to import cars, so he would get, inside the cars, you would find them dolls. Okay. So there was this um, sack of dolls my father got for me, like Barbie dolls and yes, Ken. You, Ken. you, you were home. I, I think I was six, 2008, I was in primary one. Primary one, yes. I was six, I was six, seven. So my father would always buy those dolls. and. I was really interested in them. Although once in a while he would get me a football or he would okay. get me a toy car, but I would just push those ones away and play with the dolls because okay. I wanted them. And somehow I think it, it sort of inspired my storytelling because I used those dolls to, um, to tell stories like when I was much younger, not just really? writing. You know the idea of mother and father, sister, this one is the bad person, <laughs> this one is the... So I was, doing, I was telling stories literally with those dolls. And then, yes, my sisters were also like accepting me when I was much younger. Like they, they never had a problem with me, my mother too. But then, when I was growing up, when I was growing up, my father never changed. My father still is the same person. My father has never said, "Oh, you are behaving like a woman, man." Okay. But then somehow, my mother has said, said on several occasions, 
And because of this reason, whenever I whenever I got bullied, I'm, I'm coming to the looking part. Whenever I got bullied in secondary school, I think the first time I told my mom, she was like, eh, you are the one that is not behaving like a man now. Go and play football. Why are you like, complaining? Why not? Ex- exactly. So whenever it happened, I would not be that to sort of tell her. And then my sisters, I think my sisters, my eldest sister, the second one was quite not necessarily irritated, but it was it was irritation, but the mild irritation. She'd be like, ah, I thought you would pass this stage, you like this stage of liking feminine okay. things and all of that. But she said so that's sort of thing. Well like regardless. Re- regardless, you nothing changed. So my parents they, they they never had a problem with me. I think my brother my brother never had a problem with me, although he would just like give this subtle insults like this very subtle joking insult and I never take it personal because mm-hmm. my family knew that. And then in primary school, of course, people knew I acted like a girl. Or, no, I don't use the word acted because to use the word acted seems like as, as though it's a, it's a choice. Yes, it's a choice, it's a charity. So um, in primary school, nobody really saw it as a problem. Even if it was obvious. I was the only boy in the cultural dance. Really? Yes. <laughs> I was dancing for Samba <laughs> So I was doing all these things and I really enjoyed them. I, I was acting drama. Nobody really saw it as a problem because I went to this Catholic British school, so we were like Ajebons. And then I went to Nigerian um, in Naval Secondary School and it was quite ill. When I was and I was quite androgynous in secondary school. If you remove all these beards, okay, when I was and imagine a much younger me without beards, I was very very you wouldn't even differentiate except the boy carving. Okay. And girls do boy when because boys and girls had no coat. So some girls actually did boy carving. And on Wednesdays we wore the same like both boys and girls stop and shots like polos oh, okay. and so, so they were always with the girls. so they were all people were always <laughs> using the fe- feminine pronouns she is they are really? some some people did it purposely but some people did not know they would use female pronouns and I had a very tiny voice then and I think I still do so um they would always use that and they would always use that as an insult some people never knew and some people did. Okay, so the past month, Jim also has been, you know, breaking grounds with his literary prowess. Yeah. So Jim also <laughs> has been getting publications here and there, and yes. he has not like let let it slide without letting us know. He would post about it, and <laughs> me in my tiny corner, I would feel muchy muchy for you and Thank happy you. for you. So I just wanted to tell us about your back-to-back acceptance for publication this past month. Locations of your work and how, do you, how, do, how does that make you feel? And how was that made you see the future? Yeah. So um, I discovered the idea of literary magazines in 2020, and I'll always read works from there. I think I had read in Chimamanda's works from there, and I discovered um, there was something writers did. So literary magazines are like the starting point before you publish your novel. Like they help you grow. So Chimamanda, I discovered I, Chimamanda published Purple Hibiscus in 2003. Mm-hmm. But I discovered she had always been writing before then, but her works were in literary magazines. So I I, I read okay. this 
this short beautiful short story from her my mother the crazy african it was published in this university magazine in 1998 and i was really stunned i read works different from different authors on new yorker so i said ah this literary magazines it might be very hard to enter or like it might, it might, it might be very hard to get acceptances okay. and truly they are so i think i submitted my short story once and got rejected because according to the right according to the editor the language was spellbound this was in 2020 and then i got discouraged and i said i'm not going to send my work anywhere i'm, not, I'm just going to keep writing like for myself and all and so um i just kept writing for myself and i opened the blog okay. i opened the blog and i was writing but i didn't so my i currently have a blog and my blog is not um my blog doesn't contain my very personal essays and my short stories it just contains this like light topics or like travel logs like i went for Aki festival okay. recently book festival and i'm going to write about the whole experiences from the travel like from yes yeah, so that was going as well yes so um i was i'm like the blog is just basically about random things and conversations like conversations okay. with friends and all so it's going to be good. so before the strike I, I think i was in this legal methods class and then i wrote i was writing one essay the sleeping away i didn't write like, class yes i was because i the whole i think i, I at that period i got tired of law so I was so bored. The lecturer was lecturing. I was I was just there, right, scribbling at the back of my So I I just said no. I couldn't do this like the whole lot, and I got tired of it at some point. So during the strike, I picked up the sleeping away. Like I I went to the back of my. I was just going through the back of my car. I saw the draft. I saw oh I I I literally wrote this, and then I brought um I brought my laptop and I started typing. The essay, yeah. I polished it and all, and made the essay more comprehensive. And then I sent it out to a seller magazine and um, another magazine, and I never had it in mind. Like I never had the acceptance in mm -hmm. mind. So a month later, I got an acceptance from the seller magazine, and it was wow. really, really, it was really, really beautiful because the owner of the seller magazine is one of my favorite authors. Really? Yes, she wrote this very powerful feminist novel. And then, um, yes, and Isele magazine is one of the leading magazines in Africa. Yeah, so it was it was yes, really a big deal for me. And when I saw it, I was really, really. <laughs> I, I was. I, wow. I couldn't. I was wowed. I couldn't like contain the whole thing. I think um, two weeks later, surprisingly, I got an acceptance for that same essay in another magazine, but I couldn't accept it because, oh, because I, accepted, had so it. I had to decline. So all, all of this was like a validation. And then when Isele accepted my work, I started writing different essays. I submitted my essay to Abuwo magazine and got accepted. And then I tried something. I wrote this deeply personal essay and it's going to be out very soon. And I'm kind of terrified because it's a very, very personal essay. And it's a very bold... We can't wait. We can't wait to. <laughs> I can't wait to. It's a very bold essay, but I, I, in Hawasha, in Nubu's words, I think I'm telling these stories because people need stories to survive, both oral and written. Yeah. Because even if we don't say it, we all survive like stories. If it's much more, it's, it's not necessarily a direct survival, but then we, we, are, we survive. Imagine this world without stories, without people's stories are like survival guides. So I think I want to tell this story because I think it's very urgent. I, I think it's an urgent, it's an urgent personal essay. I want people to read and I want people who, people who like me, like people, I, I want people to see themselves inside that pen. 
inside that essay and relate and say, oh, thank you for like giving me, thank you for giving me. What is it going to be out? It's not specified yet, but fall. It's it's okay. been it's an American magazine, so they said fall. I know okay. fall ends in December. It got, got published. Exactly. So oh, I, 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 so when I saw the acceptance, I was really wow. really really. And then the, the editor's name is Jeffrey Renard Allen. So Jeffrey Renard Allen taught in the Chimamanda's workshop in 2012. He's Chimamanda's friend, alongside Binyavanga Wanaina's friend. Binyavanga is my favorite. He's my favorite author. Really scared. So it was really a big deal for me. And then I got accepted again in Ibadan Art. And then I got accepted again in the Oh my God! And then I, it was it was just it was then, just back to back. back to back. Of, of course, I've been getting rejections too. But then you know we have to like that positive. And then oh, I think I got this very beautiful rejection letter. The, it, it's, I'm going to paraphrase, I can't remember how it was supposed but it was, I, I think the editor said something like, um, we published a tiny few pieces, so we can't collect your work, but this was a beautiful read. We saw, we saw many things to admire here. So basically, the politics of literary magazines is this, and that, that's why I think, yes, I'm doing like okay, what, what does it mean by tiny few? Okay, like, okay, so they have like, Maybe um if you know magazine they, they release maybe monthly or yearly or quarterly. So um they might have like twenty slots, maybe five fiction, five essays, five poetry mm-hmm. and five photography. Okay. Because they publish photographies too. So just like twenty, right? They just need twenty people like that. So if maybe um and they and they read them um, thirty books. Maybe they read hundred books okay. and then they pick thirty. They still have to like tell them Bring I'm so down. sorry. Yeah. So I think okay. that was what okay. so that and I, I was quite grateful although sometimes sometimes somehow I think <laughs> are these people just saying this thing to just like make me happy or something. Oh my god, I am still learning. I sometimes I find it spoils my thing. Oh. It really spoils my day on some not on some days, every time. Anytime I get rejections, I'm just like on my lowest lows. But then I try to like look at the right, the right side. side. I, I, I did get an accept, I still think about it. Of course, the Sele magazine was like the paving way and all of that. Yeah. But then whenever I think of I'm not trying to sort of like undermine the other magazines, but whenever I think of Evergreen Review, like the acceptance, yeah. I'm always chuffed. I'm always because um, it was so like, sudden. Like just when you so said sudden. American, I'm like really. It was so sudden. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm 20, and sometimes I feel I'm not good enough. And then I have this yeah. friend who's, and then I have this friend who is 24, Mustafa, and I, I kind of see him as somebody I admire so much. He's writing beautiful, beautiful writing. And then I think Mustafa got his first publication, not necessarily first. Like Mustafa entered the spotlight in 20. In late 2020, late 2021, and I think it was 23 or thereabouts. Okay. So that's too. So I, I, I think for my age, I'm doing quite well. Exactly. So I would, I would like to ask because for your age, at 20, mm-hmm. and like you are already experiencing this phase. What has it been like for you, like having to take literature at such a young age, having to read and then mm-hmm. start like writing what's the inspiration or motivation behind that literature 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 is just one beautiful thing i have always so my siblings are quite older than but yeah quite my eldest my immediate elder sister is seven years older than me so yeah the last child yeah i'm the last child so you know the idea of i don't play when i smoke 
kind of thing. <laughs> like I need few people. So I, I was this isolated child. Yeah, and was. so kind of I think I'm ambivalent. I'm not okay. I'm going very no, I think yeah, I I don't know, I'm an ambivalent, but I like my space. But you would know if you go out, if you go to If I go out, you depends people or like do they come to you or you just find someone that will Sometimes I come to them, so I, I don't think I'm an introvert. I'm an ambivert, I think mixture of those. So I was curious, you know, sometimes I mean loneliness drives like curiosity. So I would always be at home and thinking, why is this thing this way? I, I was always questioning everything. And in um, Sunday school, the religious teacher, they never liked me for that. Not like it was an actual nature or something, but they never liked the fact that I was questioning. That's, that's like questioning the authority of whatever it is. Yes, I, I was never So I think when I was on my birthday, my, my very good friend Chidera is in, he just like graduated from. University of Nigeria and can I do a shout out? Chidera, I'm so <laughs> proud of you. He graduated from University of Nigeria, Faculty of Law, and he's a brilliant person. He's only two one. Wise about many things. So Chidera said, um, um happy birthday, Mom. So I really like where you are, and I like that you are unsatisfied with um the predominant conclusions that the world gives. Mm-hmm. And I really I took that. I took that in and I lost yes. And you know, it's not like he knows me more than me, but you know, sometimes people give us the language we fail to give ourselves. Sure. For example, um, I've been str- I think we've had this conversation once, but like I've been struggling with the faith and all. And sincerely, I'm not in the Christian faith, even if I, I tell people, <laughs> although I'm like, I know some people are going to. So if, if you would have to like take a box or a, a register or a form or something. I will do Christian, yeah. Okay. So to be on the safer side, because you know, I'm very. So I, I, I mean, if my friends listen to this, especially the religious ones, they might be disappointed because I never told them <laughs> to show you. And this is why whenever people say um, unbelievers persecute Christians, I'm really surprised because it's the opposite. And I'm not sorry. I'm not. I've learned the faith. I'm not a Christian. I'm so sorry about that. But I'm a good person. Okay, so I was talking about how language, I was talking about language, how people give you the language. So as regards the faith thingy, I was um I was very, very I, I did not know the word to give, like how I felt, because I always found myself I coming back to religion. Faith. Yes. So I always found myself coming back to the faith. And then I had this conversation with Ryan. Ryan is also a very brilliant person. Ryan is Ryan happens to be Chidera's friend too. Okay. So Ryan said, "What you experience or what you what you have is um, this sense of security in community. You want that sense of security." And I, I had never thought of that. Just the way Chidera said. Um, so you know they give us language. It's not like we never we don't we don't know these things, but we don't know the language for these things until sure. somebody just comes and says. Yes. This is this, this is this, and you'll be like, Yes, this is true. I've never really thought of it this way. So, that was it. so. I've been really curious about many things in school, everything like both the good and the bad. I think, um, I was always, I think, once I had asked my parents about sex, and they were very, very as a child, yes, not, not as a child, child, I was in JSS one, and they were very, they were taken aback. So, but they later, because my parents are quite liberal, so they later sort of answered me. 
So I, I think I've I've been reading since I was a child. My immediate elder sister was also a driving force because she read, she read. So I was reading and I would always read. There were books we had this. We have this very big library in my house, and then I would pick books and read. Pick books and read. When I was in the toilet, when I'm in the toilet, I read. When I'm anyway, I read. I read everything. I'm always checking something, checking. And there's something about so I love storytelling. And when I mean I love storytelling, I love music. I was going to come to music because <laughs> I see that there are more of like the is it. The 60s or 80s Yes, music. I really Not even <laughs> as I mean, a Gen Z, I'm like, what's those, those music, they tell yeah. stories. So I'm always like, there's something beautiful about um, storytelling, music. Um, I love music that tells stories. I think Asha does that well. Yeah, she does. She does that well. Ryan does that well. Yeah. So I, I think true. those, they're kind, they do it well. It really stuns me, and then filmmaking. I'm really interested. I, I really want to be a filmmaker someday. Art, I really love. I don't know how to draw, but I'm really interested in art. But then there's something about writing. As much as I love stories, I love words. That is one thing that this, this the other three genres or the other two genres do they lack. Okay. Writing does that. I love language. I love the idea of stringing words together. together. Like I want to look at these words and because whenever I'm reading a book, it's not the and when I'm whenever I'm reading a book from a writer that does this beautiful thing with language, it's not just the story that is captivating. Right. I'm like, look at the way the world. Look at, just look at how. Yeah, There's a literal one that just like does this thing with words. There is this es- expression. I think um, it, it was in purple hibiscus. The lavender rays of dawn had not come out. And there was just something about it, like. Yes, I love language a lot. I love reading poetry. I love, I love like I, I, love I think that's know. that's one of the things I like about it. Mm-hmm. I like the it gives you the liberty to know create your own. Yes, create your create own. Your exactly, I can write. And I like that in literature, I can play God. I think that was why I poetic I, license. Yes, poetic <laughs> license. And that was why I resorted to writing. I I can play God. I I can kill anybody I want in my writing. Oh I can, my God! I can redeem anybody. <laughs> If you are living like, for Thank example, God, God, please, nobody has to die. <laughs> <laughs> so there is this story I read. From, I think you should read it too, if you haven't. Okay. It's a new short story by Chimamanda TV6. It was published yeah, last I, year. Yeah, I, I listened to it all. Oh, you did. Yeah, so she sort of uh, switched roles. So the women were the ones in charge. So I it was. Loved <laughs> it. I loved it. <laughs> it was so really, really a beautiful story, yes, and yes. I loved that. So basically, the whole thing is. Um, yes, curiosity drove me to literature. I'm really, really grateful for that. And then my literature teacher, Miss Ogwe, she also did my late literature teacher. Oh, you wrote so, about me? Yes, I'm yeah. so like, it's so, it's so sad that I'm so sad. Whenever I tell people my late literature teacher, they think it's, it's an old person. But Miss Ogwe was just 32 or 33. And she died of low blood pressure. Nobody really liked She died at 32. Yes, no, but last That's year. Sad. Last year, I think um um a year ago, it's already a year. I read yours. Okay. So um nobody really liked her and all of that because she was younger, you know. She never married. The teachers were always gossiping. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, it was it was something else. So, so, I was, so saying, was it like she just she saw you as a student and then picked interest in you? 
she saw your writings and then picked interest in me and also i also like you know it wasn't just her picking interest in me for your curiosity yes my curiosity i went to meet her because okay. of course she picked, i was not the only student she picked yeah. interest in. so I, I went to meet her misogi see i love writing look at my writing and she critiqued it she was like this is very bad and i was really really disappointed and i hated that for some moments but then <laughs> now i'm realizing thank you misogi thank you so much she that was you did a good thing so yeah like speaking about school mm-hmm. has, has there been a point of bullying about your person mm-hmm. that your parents had to like come in and react to in school or was it just a matter of you mm-hmm. taking it all in and yeah. building a tough skin so it was two things i could not report to my parents because three things i could not report to my parents because there were chances my parents could come into come in, come to school and just like cause the scene and I really really I don't like wahala I don't like wahala I don't want to be the news of and then secondly my parents were just not those people who like it was a good thing and a bad thing because they would feel you were at fault somebody you were at fault like did you get that kind of thing but then it was also a bad thing because what if your child is dying. You know, all in all, my parents are good people. And then thirdly, it's a military school. Your parents cannot just come in anyhow and do anyhow. Because the normal personnel, as ugly as this may sound, they could. My parents are civilians. They could beat my parents up. Sadly. And the bullying were not just my 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 classmates. It was also personnel. Navy personnel. The staffs? And, yes, Navy personnel. No, we had teachers, normal civilian teachers, and we had Navy personnel. They were in charge of the school. So it's it's a Navy personnel coming to me and giving me eight strips of cane because I walk like a girl. And it wasn't just you know, teachers flock differently from Navy personnel. Their cane was like different. He gave me eight strips of cane because I was irritated I was behaving like a girl. That's one. I remember during junior work, um this when we were signing out outside school, not in the school premises, they gave me this beating of my life because I was a feminist. I was beaten so many times by my classmates because I was a feminist. And I could what? not I could not report to my teachers because these teachers, most of them would be like, Oh, you should man up. So everybody was saying the same thing, man up, it's your fault. Mm, it's too much. It was much. And now is it like do you think maybe the family saw that and is why they would take it in military school? Or was it just a matter of, well, this is the best school? So my father wanted me to be a needy person. Needy person. Not, it wasn't, it had oh, nothing okay. to do with my feminism. Okay. So my father is this kind of person that likes it. For example, now that I'm studying, you know, my father loves it so much. He likes the idea of um, his children doing like, in big, yeah, like, yeah, professional, professional things where things. it has names. My, my picking, they do names. <laughs> Or my, my like, like now anybody like doctor, any, like even, lawyer, exactly. engineer. So anybody even if my even if you don't ask, somehow the, my dad is going to bring in the conversation. I think African parents yeah. are like my, my son is doing law. He's doing law. On a main law. <laughs> so oh he wanted me to become a Navy officer, but then as fate may have even I wanted it too because you know I was little and somehow I, I thought life was like very rosy. <laughs> so the bullying was um you took all of that like I took all of that. I was, there was no school fact, authority so, you know, to run to to like cop that. There was no school authority to run to really I didn't pay attention to teachers who because I felt all the teachers at, at this point were the same thing. So and also you know I I became immune to it. 
immune innocence it, it had become normal like it had become normal but a girl was now an insult an insult that i thought was normal it, it was okay to insult me i was trying to sort of okay it's all I'm, i'll come to that that was Mrs. one so in junior secondary school the beating the punishments like from friends every even my close friends whenever we had insult they were just like so i remember this friend i'm not going to say her name we are very close and then when she, I think we were having an um, having Italian quarrel and she says something in Yoruba and I, I caught Obirin um, but I knew like this yeah. is what she was saying because I knew Obirin was woman and yeah. then you know there's a way someone will say something even if you don't understand she be like mama she be exactly but how do women do that it's do you get do you get so exactly oh, is, and now it's making me think um, this effeminacy, people hate effeminate men, not just because they hate effeminate men, because it's misogyny. People hate women, the world hates women. And whenever I tell people the world hates women, men hate women, and I'm, I'm really, I'm saying this here. And when I tell people hate, people think, oh, hate's my name. You can, you can care for somebody, you can repay somebody views and hate them. And hate does not necessarily mean, you can... But you don't want to see them do the yes, things that... Yes, exactly. So, what, the reason why people were disgusted, and I will come to, um, I'll come to that for that topic. I, I want to bring this here, I want agenda to agenda. <laughs> so, um, the reason why people are disgusted by effeminate, it's a situation of, how dare you behave, how dare you do something as dehumanizing or demeaning as behaving like a woman, like a woman as a man. Do you get that's what it translates to? Like, how dare you behave like a woman? Because how, dare what, you, how dare you stoop so Why long? would it be a woman that because, you would use in comparison if a woman yes, is not as Because whenever a woman, a woman when a girl plays with God, oh, she's, oh my God, when a girl loves the do, but if a boy loves the Emiya, like, oh, Beyonce, and it's loud about it, oh my God, you are It's like, Masculinity is the default, but femininity is never the default. Even though that you think less yes. of the other gender. I think on Twitter, a woman came on Twitter in 2021 and said, Help, my daughter is playing with toy guns and helicopters. And then people were like, I should play with it now. She's a strong girl. And then somebody, and on this Twitter, a man who I think he's the owner of Bet Ninja. I'll be sporty bet or something. He's the owner of a betting company in Nigeria. And then he says, My son is not playing football, but he's very interested in feminine things. And then people were like, Hola mo, hola mo, making no but turn into something else. And it's and I'm really thinking oh and then I'm thinking, this is this how we hate um femininity so much? And then it manifests to um the the bill where the bill that was passed in early 2022 i think in march or april where they said and um, people cross-dressers, cross-dressers will like be yeah. imprisoned yeah. and then nobody thought women who dress like men because i mean today like these days chief rights I, I think i've seen a chief rights maid a tomboy like chief rights maid wearing a suit she wearing a suit and yeah. it was people were like oh this is gorgeous but a man can't even wear a wedding gown or a gown and say he was to do they're going to send him back even from the church the pastor is going to send him pray back. out the spirit true, of true. a feminist and true. send him out so I, I think in the in, in the surface we might say oh this is an injustice against men but if you look if you look deeply into it it's misogyny and it's hatred against women everything is tight like why what is so demeaning like it's it's it translates it's translating to 
how dare you do something you that is in you you that is a superior like you that is in the superior level how dare you do something as demeaning as behaving like okay. a woman so i think if there was one realization for me my mom had this friend or rather acquaintance because okay. it's been long ahead from her and i don't think my mom and her are so close but she used to um, visit my mom in her shop when we were, when we were much younger and she would always taunt me for behaving like a woman and she would bring the whole religious parlance like oh you are going to hell for this you are going like she told she, you that as yeah, a child yes she did oh you are going to hell for this and you know um every sunday every sunday there was something like i said my parents are very progressive every sunday there's something my sister my sisters did and my mom they would dress me up and everybody would be in the parlor my dad my brother my sisters and my mom they one of my sister would sort of dress me up wear puts like makeup on my face really? and all of that i loved it i enjoyed playing <laughs> okay. dress up so and then my mom or my sister would be like oh contestant number 14 come outside and then and i, I, I can still i dare say to you today i i, I can strut on heels <laughs> so but i i would i would catwalk outside like walk out and catwalk and everyone would start clapping for me my dad my brother everybody they would clap so but then i think it started becoming a worry because they thought i would outgrow like so it started becoming a worry when i was in grade five like almost reaching secondary school and i think the person the, the two people who highlighted it in my house were my elder brother who you know somehow i think i like to think that toxic masculinity can also be as a result of friends because he said something about his friends being so irritated that his brother is acting like a woman this wasn't my like and out of context i also i'm i'm randomly thinking about this this neighbor whom when i just newly became a feminist when i am fully embraced feminism in 2019 i'll always preach the feminist gospel to him he, he i think he's three years younger than me i one day i just i was going through his status i think this year and then because he was very anti-toxic masculinity and very feminist and this year i was going through his status he just entered school and then i saw one very misogynistic thing about women degrading women i saw something about um, saying we we lack traditional men these days that kind of post mm -hmm. and then although i didn't reach out to him because somehow i two things i'm very very anxious whenever these conversations happen so i just felt oh i'm not going to have that back and forth argument arguments with him and also i felt this year i'm going to use it i'm going to sort of preserve my energy and if i want to explain the concept of effeminacy to somebody to be from a place of oh i really want to learn this thing okay. not from a place of oh i must win this argument because i i like to think that these days when people put up arguments about oh feminism or effeminacy it's from a situation of i want to show my intellectual prowess and i want to win okay. it's not from a place of i want us to reason together and let's see from each other's point of view and let's yeah. see how we can make the world a better place yeah. so yeah um that was that was a very long talk because I'm thinking about you that felt as a young child oh, yeah. and then an older woman who you would have thought should know better mm. would tell you that you go to hell for being Yeah. Who you are. She was always and it wasn't even funny. She was she was always taunting me. And I think 
I, I think I mentioned Sundays because of that woman. So I think there was this Sunday she came to our house because I think my mom was ill and she didn't know our house per se. So I think she was asking neighbors and then she had to come to visit my mom. And then that sort of thing where I would rub lipstick and put the whole thing happened. And then she was like, Jesus, what are you putting? Hey, okay. this ch- that kind of thing, you know how? Okay. And I I think it's just, it's wrong. I, I It's it's wrong. I, I think, yes, I, I, I think when I was graduating from primary school, there was this person that was bullying me. But it wasn't really serious because I reported to my teacher and he, he gave me a listening ear on like how secondary school was for me. Yeah. Um, so what would you say that being an effeminate being is for you? Like every other person will look at you and they just believe you're acting mm. or you have a choice to not be who you are. Mm. But like deep down in you personally, you know how you feel. Mm. Yes. To have a reflex. For you, it's, I, I believe it's a reflex. Yeah. It's not like you have a choice to not yeah. have, I mean, a sweet voice or to not, you know, work like you work or mm. to not like feel like you feel within so um for the sake of learning mm. and i want to believe that humans it can be a tool or mm. it can be ignorant mm. but when a new fact reveals itself mm. then they probably can you know learn from it and see it from your own lens what yeah. it is personally for you mm. to be who you are so as opposed to you know what a traditional man should be like i think these days being an effeminate man is so i'm I'm thinking it's on some days i think on most days i think i'm lucky and first of all i I say this from a place of um you know effeminacy means having feminine attributes as a man so i i i think um i think i'm lucky for example in my literary works if you read a man's I am. I, I wouldn't really say I'm diverting because it's actually. If you read a literary piece from a male writer okay. and read from a female writer, this is tested and trusted. It like it always happens. There's something very bland and lacking, lacking soul. The sentences might be beautiful and well done, but there's something very. You know, men are, and it's not a biological thing. It is. I think it's a sociological and sometimes physio- um, psychological thing. Men are. Uh, men are known to use um, this. They use this logic, so it shows in their writing. There is no, there is no humaneness. There, there, there is no emotion. You can't feel emotion in a, in a man's literary work. But when you read a woman's literary work, for example, if you read, um, I don't want to use Achebe, but if you read a novel from Walishoenka and read from Chimamanda, maybe Walishoenka's novel might be very beautiful as in storyline but when it comes to the characters feeling things i don't think it would have that depth that chimamanda's story would have i think women because they feel things so i think as an effeminate man somehow i'm blessed with the gift of feeling but i don't i don't and a part of me saying i don't think it should be what an effeminate man should i think it should be it should be a human thing because i i feel there is nothing like a part of me saying there is nothing like there, sh- there is really nothing like femininity and masculinity in the largest sense. I think all humans should borrow, like, we should borrow things from, from each other because they are necessary. So I, I think, um, but 
in the in the technical sense, I th- I think I'm grateful for this feminism as regards my writing because I think intuition and empathy just plays this beautiful role in my writing that makes it goes well. And I think I've had people say, "Oh, you you write with this, you write with so much." Like wh- while you write, I'm not just reading sentences. I'm I'm feeling it. So. Yes, and also being a feminist, I, I think it's glorious. I don't know, I don't have like an actual language for it, but I think it's, I think it's just... I you don't, okay, I'm just, I'm just trying to, um, I don't know, I want to like take you back a bit. Mm. I'm trying to say, it's not an option for you. No, it's, it's not a choice for you. It's not an option and it's not a choice. And I have, I have an argument. These days, I'm, I'm thrown between thinking, why do we live in a world where, for example, somebody's effeminate and then we, we have to say, oh, we will permit you to be this because it's not your choice. Why can't people just be, even if it's their choice? My feminist is not a choice, but if today a man decides, oh, I want to be walking this way, I want to be... Like, he's not harming anybody. Because in the, in the larger sense, it's you saying you hate femininity. I think all of this still boils down to an individual, the individual people, yes. regardless of what cultures. Yes. You meet me yes. and I'm cool to you. Yes. That is me. I yes. know what the world is. I know what yes. society is saying, but I still choose to be nice. To yes. You. And for me, I believe the only thing you can want to say a man is different from, or to judge who is a good man or a bad man is integrity, yes. character, yes. how empathic they are, yeah. how caring they are yeah. of the next person. Yeah. It necessarily does not have to not necessarily it does not have to be about what their horror is or yes. what their demeanor is. Yes. Because that is what they have I want to say biologically. Yeah. That is what they are genetically. Because one time I think I was I saw an interview of a player, a mm. football player. He used to he used to play in the boys team. Yeah. So later, I think he was having a conflicting struggle about who he is. Yeah. Then he went into surgery. Yeah. And he was saying that the doctor says his white white chromosome is for the woman. Yeah. His, his white chromosome is higher in him, like he's more dominating in him than his X chromosome. So that chromosome that is more dominating is what. They want to work on into mm. the story. He explained it some kind of way. So that was a breaking point for me to know that being effeminate or being a tomboy, that's yeah. what they call for the girl. Yes. It's not a thing that anyone just decides to be. Exactly. It's just who they are. That's it's a reflex exactly. for them. Like the reflex is when the society now tries to like categorize to say that if you are this way, you are not normal. Mm. Except you are in the way that we know that we know mm. which is like the masculine the macho and all this brings me to the next question also. yeah because there are controversies that i want to talk about sexuality yeah when they when we when society categorize men femininity men, or tomboy girls mm-hmm. They do not just categorize them and leave them to their appearance. Yeah. They, they automatically say this is what yeah. they are. Yeah. They are lesbians. They are homosexuals. Yeah. And I want to, and because I see that, I want to believe that they are macho men that yeah. are gay. <laughs> and I would explain that. And they are feminine, like feminine, feminine women that are lesbians. Yes. So, 
what's your what would be your take on that? Because <laughs> I, I want to believe that for me to have reasoned it out, you definitely can relate to yes. what I'm trying to say. So are they right to categorize that once a person appears to be effeminate mm. or once a lady appears to be a tomboy, they, this is where their sexuality is? So um perhaps a tomboy. Not all men. Okay, let's say all effeminate. No, not necessarily all. Like there men. might be exceptions. Not all men are equal. Not okay. We can actually say that, but not all um, not all gays are effeminate. Yeah, exactly. That can go to and same for tomboys and all. Okay. Yeah, masculine men who are gay. So I feel like there's there's a challenge with being an effeminate being mm. and then being. A gay man yeah like so that's like two that's like two challenges mm-hmm. i mean it's not supposed to be a challenge mm-hmm. for you but like the way the world is mm-hmm. and people's opinion when it comes to other people's sexual sexuality mm-hmm. sexual orientation okay cool. so i i think that's like a terrible imbalance in the stats like the premise is very weak and you know because i'm thinking about it and and then it's me saying there are actually masculine men who you know sexual orientation is not one thing i like to think that there are masculine men who are gay and there are feminine men who are gay and i think these things do not leverage on them these things do not leverage on um, mannerisms. It doesn't leverage on mannerism. It's I, I don't think it works in the way of oh because this person is effeminate, he's gay, he's gay. or this person is masculine, he's, he's straight. straight yeah. And just the way I think there are women who have these very masculine tendencies, but they love men, and there are women who like you can she might be the most feminine person you've ever met and she's attracted to women i just think you know our attractions are like different but you know people link them and somehow i'm still even trying to get that premise like comprehend that premise but what i largely think is there are masculine men who are gay and there are feminine men who are gay and effeminacy is not a what's the word i want to use this very big grammar <laughs> effeminacy is not a tantamount for being gay yeah that's what i'm going because i think i don't say the eight because it is a big word yeah. i kind of feel like the dislike that people have for an effeminate man mm. is looking beyond the heart mm. or looking beyond how how physically they present themselves mm-hmm. but they are looking at the insects. The, the, no, they're looking at the sexual orientation Fishing. already. Yeah. So, see, look, looking at you as an effeminate man, they're already thinking. Yeah. Oh, this one. This is what he's doing. Maybe here. he's exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I had to like ask what, what is like, what is sexual orientation, and if most people are right to think that being, so it's relative, right? That's so I, I, I think um. I think sexual orientation, what I think from what I have much from what I have read and observed, I think it, it's a situation of um like it, it, it can happen to anyone. Sure. Somebody in the north, maybe a man in the north who sells suya is gay and he's very masculine. And if you see him you don't think like you said, yes, people think oh a gay man is effeminate and all that one. There's, always, there's also this very false um, there's also this false stereotype of them um, saying oh 
all the gay men in the world are rich and effeminate. Like <laughs> the game well at which I'm thinking, oh, the people I know who might be and all of that, I I'm not saying they are poor or something, but there there's what there's a way people like make it seem like Okay, I get yeah. that. Um okay, um I would just like to know because for me I've met a feminine being, mm. my makeup artist is an effeminate guy. Mm. And like for you, how you have portrayed to say that your family is accepting of who you are. Mm. Um, most people do not have that luxury of their family being in acceptance of who they are. But personally within you was there any moment where you struggled to have an acceptance of who you, who you personally. are personally yes. yes aside other people accepting you for yes. who you are like your own personal and I, when experience. when you say personally because the idea of personal is still linked with what other people would say but it's a personal for example when i go admission to study law at the university of lagos i i started the gym and I was very lazy to finish. I started the gym because I wanted to have this buff body and all. Really? Yes. Although I would still continue, but then it's not it's it's not an institution of oh I want to, you want to build your this body. is just okay. a situation of I want to build my body. So um I started the gym, I started taking dry gym because I wanted to make my voice wow. masculine and then we had this thing there's this thing called toxicology test which i almost failed i in fact i was queried there so i was taking lots and lots of gene and when the toxicology test approached i had to um i had to start taking water back to back like I, my, my tummy could you know when you take water your tummy is filled like i could actually see physically that my tummy was like it was very big because i was taking water and i was urinating a lot so i was trying to flush everything out and then the detoxifier i got was fake because i learned detoxifier doesn't work that the body in itself the liver itself is a detoxifier and that's why people get um, liver problems because the things they take are very strong for the liver so um i i got a detoxifier and i was taking it and i felt sick i felt sick and i stopped and you know i i just well, I, I I think yeah those periods and then in secondary school I think everything is still linked with people and you know there's something about lying to yourself you know the idea of and you know now I'm saying this it wasn't then it wasn't a situation of I want Knowing to do this to what, please yeah. these people it was a situation was of right I want thing. to do it for yeah. myself okay. when I wanted to play basketball of course I wanted to do it for people but it was a situation of this was what I wanted but I, I never really wanted it. you know there are some things you can you know that you can bully or you can I, I don't want to use the word bully you can trick your brain into thinking you like something but you don't so I I, I tricked my brain or rather I sort of conditioned my brain into thinking oh I love this thing basketball and I wanted to do it so at that moment it was fun doing the basketball <laughs> but then you know there's something about life there's something about life even if you trick your brain into saying into saying into thinking oh you love this thing there would always be a time for longing where you'd be like oh this is not, for, not me. for me yeah. and i have to sort of like drop it okay. so that was it yeah so chino so thank you for coming and i'm so glad to have you here thank you so so much. i really do hope that when i call you again oh.
Are you yes, coming? I don't. <laughs> Are you coming? <laughs> of course. Are you sure? Yes, of course. Uh, there's Jack Bartrand now. <laughs> okay, so I really do hope that when I call you again, you come. And um, I'm looking forward to, you know, see you excel. Thank you. The world is probably not as safe as it ought to be for people like you. Mm-hmm. And why do I even have to say people like you if not that there's been, you know, like... There's been like a box created for people like you. That's mm. why I would use the first people like you. But what I'm just saying in essence is, I hope that you feel safe when you walk into a space, when you walk into a room. It's not just about open for you, but I just hope that everyone who is listening will be, you know, open-minded and live your life and let other people live. Mm. It's not a choice. The so, I just want to say that everybody feels as comfortable as they are, just the way an effeminate man feels as comfortable as he is in his own way. So thank you for coming. Table it unscripted with Kofu or Bob.